Hello, friends. Happy Monday. Just a quick reminder before we jump into today's podcast, the Flex of Gold journal for moms that I've been working on for over a year will be for sale next Monday, November 16th. I am counting down the days, and I hope you are too, because I know this journal will help you shift your perspective as a mother and find and feel so much more joy in your daily life. It's the perfect Christmas gift to get for yourself or other moms in your life. And if you want to be among the first to hear when it's available, as well as get an exclusive 24-hour discount code on launch day, make sure you're signed up at 3in30podcast.com slash flexofgold. I simply can't wait to get this tool into your hands just one more week. As for today's episode, it is so important to me. I know it's a heavy, even triggering topic for many people, so I want to acknowledge your courage and compassion in pushing play and wanting to learn more about this deeply important topic that affects so many families every day. This is episode 155, Talking About Suicide, Insights from a Daughter Left Behind. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. This time of year is heavy for me because it was three years ago in November that we lost my son's birth mother, Katie, to suicide. If you've been listening to 3 and 30 from the beginning, you may remember when this happened. I was brand new to podcasting when Katie's death happened, and I knew I needed to talk about it on the show because it felt wrong to go on covering everyday topics when my life had just been rocked to its core. So in episode six, I talked about Katie's death, our amazing relationship that we formed through open adoption, and three scripture verses that I had relied on during my years of infertility before Katie entered our lives through the miracle of adoption that I was relying on again after losing Katie in such a heartbreaking way. I hope you'll go back and listen to that episode because it is a true piece of my heart and a lasting tribute to her and everything she brought into my life. Every year in November, I plan to do something to commemorate Katie in some way, an episode on mental health or adoption or grief. Last year in November, my sister Sarah did a two-part interview with me about surviving depression and motherhood, and it remains one of the all-time most listened to episodes of 3 and 30 and has helped so many women get the courage to reach out for help in their struggles. This year, I wanted to talk more specifically about suicide, and I was so touched to get an episode proposal from a mom who has an incredibly personal perspective on depression and suicide, as she lost her beloved mother to suicide in 2016. Over the last four years, she has tried to process that experience and put into words the lessons that she learned from her mother's life and death, and I am beyond honored that she would share such a very personal and important message with us today. Sarah Grotenheis is a mom of two who lives in New England. She calls herself a reluctant homeschooler and a dance party enthusiast and goes on to say, while I love to focus on the light, happy, and fun, I always strive for transparency in my personal struggles, namely losing my mother to suicide in 2016. Through this experience, I've learned a great deal about forgiveness, compassion, and resilience, topics I try to share with others. I can't wait to share my conversation with her with all of you. But before I do, just a quick reminder about this month's podcast sponsor, which feels so very aligned with this topic, and that is BetterHelp, the world's largest counseling network done 100% online. Nine years ago, I found myself in a deep depression while trying to adjust to new motherhood. 
Not only was I dealing with daily stresses of a colicky baby, but I also found that becoming a mother brought up a lot of buried grief for me over the loss of my own mother who had passed away when I was a teenager. I'd never been to any type of counseling to acknowledge that loss, and it was time for me to process and heal. At the same time, I was navigating adoption and all of the nuances of having an open adoption, and I really needed somebody to talk through all of that with. Counseling absolutely changed my life. I am a different person today because of the tools I learned in counseling, such as how to feel my emotions instead of burying them, how to talk to myself more positively, and how to deal with stress and emotional triggers in healthy ways. I still see a counselor on an as-needed basis, and honestly, in the year 2020, I have needed this support quite often. If you've been feeling the stress of this crazy year, you are not alone, and I cannot recommend therapy strongly enough. I am so incredibly grateful to BetterHelp for making counseling easier and more accessible in these strange times by providing a network of over 3,000 licensed professional counselors who will meet with you online. You can meet via video chat, phone calls, or even via messaging, so your emotional needs can be met in the midst of your busy life. The first step to getting started with BetterHelp is to fill out a detailed intake survey so they can match you with a counselor who will meet your needs, and you could be connected with a counselor who can start supporting you within 24 hours. Pretty amazing. Listeners of 3 and 30 can get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash 3 and 30. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 3 and 30. And now onto the show. Here's my conversation with Sarah Grotenheis. Sarah, I'm so grateful to have you joining me on 3 and 30 today. Thanks so much for having me. I've been a longtime listener, and it's just an honor to be here. Oh, well, thank you so much for reaching out to me. Like I said in that intro, mm -hmm. it's been on my heart that I've wanted to do an episode on this, but I, I haven't quite known how or who. And when I got your proposal, it just felt right to have your perspective. And I love this title that you submitted insights from a daughter left behind, everything that you've learned personally through your experience. And I've lost my mother as well. She died of cancer when I was a teenager. And I've also lost my son's birth mother to suicide. And grief is so incredibly all-consuming and painful. And it is. I have to say that the grief I felt after Katie's death was different than the grief I felt yeah. after my mom's because suicide just comes with all of these additional what ifs and emotions and things like guilt and anger, feelings that I hadn't felt with the cancer death. Yeah. A whole nother dimension. Yes. And mm -hmm. oh, it was, and the agony of knowing the pain that she was in, right. um, the emotional pain that she was in was, I mean, just laying awake at night, just such deep hurt. So, combined, like you lost a mother and you lost a mother in this way. I, mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what you have been through. And I'm just so grateful that you're here to share with us some of that. Well, thank you. And it really was, you know, you sharing about Noah. And I went back and listened to that after my mom passed away and listened to your tribute to her. And that gave me a lot of strength. And it's one of those things when, when it happens to you, you kind of do, at least I did, I went and did like a mental check. Who do I know that I can look to who's gone through this and mm. and we kind of just find those people in our circle who you might not have thought about connecting with them on that before and it really made me think you know and we were talking before that you'll want to talk to Noah about this and hopefully I have some insights for people who have experienced this or need to talk to a child about it in that perspective yes. because it's 
it's a tricky one and uh, we need to lean on each other for it. Yes. And you're so right. I remember, um, after she passed away, looking up articles by Heidi Swap, who Mm -hmm. has lost a teenage son to suicide. And it, it was really helpful to hear her experience and how she processed it and how she explained it to her children and all those things. So I'm just so grateful that this episode will hopefully be a resource for people, no matter how this topic has touched their lives, that hopefully it will give them some insight and be a resource. So why don't we jump right in um, with kind of, you can tell us kind of how you came to these takeaways or why you decided to structure the episode this way. And then you can just start in with your three takeaways. Of course. Now, I am not a a mental health professional. Uh, These are just insights that I've gained through my own experience. And I really wrote in because I feel like I've metabolized this grief in such a way that I still feel it. I still miss Mm. my mom. I still wish this didn't happen. But it is no longer the center of my universe in an unhealthy way. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a hard point to get to with something like this, especially if it's someone close to us or if you're the one you know, recovering from those kind of thoughts or depression, it's hard to move to a place where it's no longer the center of your everyday and kind of moving through it and processing it to where you can reflect on it in a healthy way. And it, it it's a battle hard fought and it took me a long time to get there, but there were things that I wish somebody had told me, you know, back way back when, when I was going mm. through it. And you hear so many insights and lots of points of view about what you should be doing or or what you're supposed to feel. But I never heard it from somebody who had experienced the same loss as I did or a similar loss. So these are really just things that I wish that I had known that I feel very strongly now and that I would tell anybody else going through a similar thing. The first and I think everybody needs this takeaway, right, is that mental illness is not a character flaw or a lack of willpower. Yes. And I'm sure you feel the same exact way about Katie as I feel about my mom. There is, There was no lack of willpower there. My mom was the most generous, strong, intelligent people that I knew. And so suicide was so far from my mind. And I think one of the hardest parts of losing someone to suicide and depression is the stigma that accompanies it. Mm. You fear telling people about their death because you think somehow it would mar their character in your mind. And if it's somebody who you're connected to, you almost feel like that's going to be transferred to you, that you're going to become a flight risk or people are going to think that there's something wrong with you or your family. And It couldn't be further from the truth. In reality, my mom was the poster child for doing everything we should be doing for mental health. She was healthy. She went to therapy. She exercised. She had great friends and a rewarding career as a mental health counselor, no less. So she was very well-versed in all the things that she should be doing. Um, She had two children and a new granddaughter. My daughter was uh, eight months old when my mom passed away, and we all loved her. And she had survived so much in her life. And she didn't shrink back in the face of adversity. She didn't, you know, give up. But reality was that she suffered from a very, very debilitating illness, and that was depression. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason why we collectively would rather say, try harder, go to more therapy, do X, Y, and Z, is because it's scary to think that someone could be doing all of those things and still be in this mental anguish. But it happens just like any physical illness. I know so many people who are the pinnacle of health and get cancer or whatever it could be, right? Yes. And who do everything to treat their cancer. And and sometimes 
don't recover in spite right. of everything that they've done to treat their cancer. Exactly. And it's not a reflection of the character. It's not a reflection of the people who they surround themselves with. It's it's a part of the body. A brain is the part of the body and mental illness is an illness, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think when we treat it as a character flaw or a lack of willpower, it breeds more shame and silence because then if someone is feeling that, they then think, well, someone's going to think I'm weak or they're going to think I'm selfish. Or if I just tried harder, I wouldn't do this. They're going to think I'm lazy. But if we treated mental illness as what it is, an illness, a fault not of the person, but of the body, then there would be much less hiding it and more getting treated for it. And we'd be able to encourage the people who we love to get treated and help them. And I always use the example of diabetes. You would never tell someone with diabetes, just think positive to even out your blood sugar levels. Like you would never, you would never do that because you realize how ridiculous that sounds. Although sure, we could all be exercising more and thinking more positively. That's universal, right? I think Mm. everybody needs to be doing that regardless of the state of your mental health. But we should never need ashamed for needing treatment beyond that or feeling a certain way because of those things or in spite of our best efforts. So I think, you know, reframing that as what it is, an illness, and reminding ourselves of that, both when we're facing it or someone that we know is facing it, or when we've lost someone to mental illness, I think can help us to move forward in a way that's healthy and not dwell so much on the stigma that accompanies it. Yes. And and when I hear you talk about how it is an illness, that actually helped me to explain in a childlike way what had happened because Mm -hmm. I had to tell Noah what had happened. And he was only, he was barely six. Yeah. And I know different people have different opinions on how much children should know. And so how I explained it to him at six years old is I said, her brain got really sick and she went to doctors and she tried everything she could and she took medicine and she tried so hard to get better and she just couldn't. Mm-hmm. And that's where I left it for a six-year-old. Right. And then now there needs to be follow-up conversations and I feel like he's at the age now where that can happen. But I've already framed it in a way that he knows that it's a physical illness. It's not a stigma. I explained it to him just like I've explained that my mom got cancer and went through treatments and tried so hard and loved us so much and still passed away. Absolutely. And I think it's unfortunate that both of them have passed, but you can rely on those stories together to prove that to him and to show him, you know, just like your mom had cancer, his mom or his biological mother Mm -hmm. had this mental illness and they both tried their very hardest and had these resources and did what they could with them, but still passed away. And I think that's a really powerful way to explain it to him. And that's something that I chat with my daughters a little bit about that. They're five and three now. And they, Mm -hmm. one of them met my mom once we were living across the country when she when my mom passed away. So she had only met her once when she was a few months old. So they didn't have that relationship but mm-hmm. they know about her. We have pictures of her. They refer to her, Grandma Wendy. But I think when we have that conversation, we'll also talk about how, you know, this does sometimes run in families just like cancer mm-hmm. could or Alzheimer's or any of those things. So hitting home, these are not feelings to be ashamed of. If you ever feel this, let's talk about it. There are ways that we could help you and we can talk about it in a way that, 
you'll feel more comfortable. And I think that's really important to tell kids so that they don't feel afraid to say that they're sad. Yes. And again, you're explaining it to them as a disease that can run in families, a disease of the body, nothing to be ashamed of. And this happened to your um, biological mother or to your grandmother. And we want to be really aware of the signs that if we need help with this right. illness, you know, that's beautiful. And I know on on my show, I, I feel like there's there's been a theme emerging um, about the power of words and using mm-hmm. words carefully. And that's true also with this topic that in recent years, experts in the field have said, we shouldn't say that somebody committed suicide, which committed acts like makes it feel a like crime. a sin, yeah. a crime or a sin, but to say that they died by suicide mm-hmm. or that we lost them to suicide because words matter and they carry connotation with them. And so when we can talk of it, not as they committed a crime, but that they had an illness that can shift a lot um, for children and for adults as we talk Definitely. about this topic. Yeah, I think that's super important. And and just like that, I love that you said, you know, words matter. And this is a little bit off, but it wasn't until after this that I realized how often people say, oh, I'm just going to kill myself. Mm, oh, I, I could just die. Oh, and I was like, oh, no. And now whenever I hear it, I just like want to cover my ears and hide. And I, for years after, anytime I heard it, it brought this like instant, cringe like this guttural response like please don't say that yes it's just you don't realize how often it's in our culture and in our just in our vocabulary until you have that pain point and it comes up and it just makes you just makes you flinch yeah and you you know that reminds me of that we had an episode about infant loss and Mm -hmm. um, Anna Packard is her name and I can't remember if she said this in the episode or she told me separately during a conversation but she said those memes go around that are supposed to make women feel better that say something like if your kids are still alive at the end of the day then you did a good job mom oh but um, then- or like i kept i kept yeah. the kids alive you know so i did a good job and she said how much as a mom whose baby never woke oh. up from a nap you know a baby that died of sids how hurtful those memes are to her to read because sometimes no fault of your own your children don't live you know yeah. and and so it I just thought mean you weren't oh, doing a good job. It doesn't yes. mean that there was something wrong with your mothering, of course. Yeah. Oh. And I, I had never thought of that when I saw those memes that didn't occur to me because I haven't yeah. had that experience. But after she shared that with me now, every time I see those or I hear someone say that I'm like, oh, wow. Like, and I'm just so grateful for the broad experience that I've had being able to interview so many people on so yeah. many different topics, because I do feel like I'm starting to understand a lot of nuanced experiences because of that. And hopefully people listening to the show have gotten that as well, that they're getting little tastes of lots of different people's experience so they can be more careful with their words. Absolutely. That's a little bit of an aside, but I also feel like very pertinent to this topic. So um, what is your second takeaway? My second takeaway is that love does not cure depression and depression does not rob love. When someone you love takes their own life, I think it brings up a lot of those really, really intense, deep, vulnerable feelings. Did they love me? If they loved me, how could they do this? Why wasn't I enough for them? If you love someone, you're supposed to be happy. Why am I not making you happy enough as your daughter, as your sister, mother, spouse, whatever, why isn't this enough even to make you want to live? Not necessarily to be happy-go-lucky all the time, but how can you 
not want to be here when I'm here. I think that's a really hard, a hard thing to metabolize and to work through. And it's so painful and it also can bring anger, you know, that so much. Yeah. I thought I had flashes of that where I thought, how could she have done this? Not just to us, but to Mm -hmm. Noah, like, didn't she know how much he needed her? And I'd feel like angry for a second. And, and that's normal. Those feelings are normal to go through those. And I don't shame that feeling at all, but but when I could reframe that and and get clear on that this is a disease and everything you're going to teach us here in a second, it helped me to see it was not about that. It was never about that. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you said that because I kind of look back. I feel like grief is a little bit like childbirth. When you're mm-hmm. on the other side, you sometimes forget all of the minutia that was happening in it. But I absolutely had those flashes of anger. And I think I didn't realize that I felt that way until somebody else said it to me. Mm-hmm. I was having a conversation with somebody probably in church. And they said, I can't believe your mother would do that to you. Mm-hmm. And I I was angry at my mom. And I had felt that internally. But then I was angry at that person. And I thought, she didn't do that to me. Mm-hmm. That was not because of me. She wasn't doing that to hurt me. Yes. And it and and that was what it took for me to to process that and to realize that's how I was feeling. Yes. But man, the anger is is really real there. And I only really got it. And I, I'm putting got it in air quotes for myself was when I was experiencing that anxiety and depression myself because I knew how much I loved my daughter. And then I thought, my mom loves me this much as her daughter. Mm. My mom once sat with me on her lap when I was an eight month old and just thought, oh, I would do anything for this girl. We had that same mother daughter love. And I knew that my mom felt that for me. And so knowing how she felt about me, And how I felt about my daughter and then knowing that I was still struggling with my emotions and my feelings made it very clear to me that that love she had for me couldn't just pull her out of that sadness. In some ways, it just adds a new dimension to that sadness because not only was I sad, but I was worrying that my sadness was affecting my daughter and that I was hurting her by being sad. And, you know, the most loving thing we can do is to seek help. But it's just an obstacle to overcome to know that our feelings for somebody or their feelings for us do not necessarily change or cure a mental illness. Someone can love so deeply. I know that my mother loved me and my brother, and she was still in the pit of depression. Yeah. And if someone we love is depressed or has committed suicide, that's not a reflection of a lack of love for us at all. Yes. Even if... You know, there were things that were difficult with any relationship because there are there are always ups and downs in relationships and nobody can be a perfect support, especially when you don't know what's really going on internally with somebody. Thank you for adding that. I think that's really, really important. Absolutely. And on a a more hopeful note. Yes. (laughs) The last takeaway that I want to offer, and this really I think is applicable to everyone going through something difficult, whether it's you're feeling depression, somebody you love is, you've lost someone to suicide or any other difficult thing that we're grieving from, that's that healing and joy is possible on the other side. I think it applies to everybody that you can get there to that healing and joy that's on the other side of grief. I absolutely believe that from the bottom of my heart. And I kind of want to scream it for people that you can get through it because I remember 
those days and weeks and months after when I thought this is never going to get better. I'm never going to feel normal again. Mm -hmm. Life is never going to, the world is not going to keep on spinning. You know, your life stops for you for a while. And it's, it's really hard to remember that it will go on and it will get better. It will be different forever, Mm. but life can still be good. Yes. And not just for the people who are left behind that life will go on, but Um, This is a message that I know you feel really strongly about. We both feel really strongly about for those who are in the midst of really debilitating depression, that it can get better. It can. I I remember I listened to a podcast once where um, a woman was talking about how she confided in her doctor that she was having suicidal thoughts and she was absolutely horrified to like say this aloud to him. And he said something like, I know what that feels like. I've been there too. And she said for her, it was the first time that she realized that healing was possible. Like she had thought that if you have these thoughts, like eventually you'll end your life. And to Mm -hmm. say, really, you have like her doctor, you know, Mm -hmm. and for him, and he just explained to her that suicidal thoughts are a symptom of depression. So Mm. it's not, they're not like an end unto themselves. They don't mean that that's what's going to happen. They're a message that your body is giving you that you are really struggling. And it's just one symptom of many of really debilitating depression and that you can get better with counseling and medication and all of the things that we do. Um, My sister has had really debilitating, really debilitating mental illness, and she has done all sorts of, I mean, alternative therapies and things, and she's in a really good place now. For years, she was not, but now she is, and it's just so joyful for me to feel like she's back, like I have my sister back, because for years... I didn't like she wasn't there and now she's back and and she would be the first person to say not the same as she was. And there's things right. that there's things that have been taken from her by her mental illness, aspects of her personality and things that she will always grieve, but she's herself again and she has joy and she has these two beautiful children that she gets to be with every day. And so hope and joy and healing is possible. Absolutely. A big part of healing for me was seeking professional help. And I want to encourage listeners to seek help from therapists, psychiatrists, and doctors who will know how to help you decide on a treatment plan. Mm -hmm. And part of that will include your circle as well, you know, your family, your friends, your support system. But I think it's so important because it is, you know, an illness and it's something that we need to really take seriously to seek help from people who have experience and insights that our friends and family might not and who can hold that space for us where our immediate circle can't always offer the extensive support that you might need when you're in that state. So I think it's important to surround ourselves both personally and with experts who who can help you. Yeah. And I think one can often lead to the other. I think that the people in our life, it's so important to talk to the people in our life about what we're struggling with. Mm-hmm. A lot of times just saying out loud just how dark and heavy it is to somebody that you trust is a first mm-hmm. step to then moving. And and if it's somebody that can help you, especially to find the professional help, I think we can hesitate. When we know somebody is really depressed, we can hesitate to ask them straight out how bad it is. Because we feel like if we ask them, are you having suicidal thoughts, that will make them that much more likely 
to... you're afraid of the answer that you yes might get. yes mm-hmm. and research does not show that research shows that if you talk to the people you love about their depression and suicide they're actually less likely to take mm-hmm. that end so i think that if you have someone in your life that is really struggling and you can tell to talk to them about their depression and say how are you doing and ask them are do you have suicidal thoughts if they say yes say what is that like? Do you have a plan? Do you have an active plan for that? And talk through that with them. And if they do, then they need immediate help. If they don't have a plan, but they are having those thoughts, you can just say, okay, let's get you some help. Do you, would you like me to call around to see if I can find a counselor? Because I know for me, when I've been in really, really low mental places, the thought of even finding a counselor is so overwhelming. I don't know yeah. where I would start. I don't know how to find, I don't even have the ability and energy to get through my day-to-day life, let alone right. add that to it. And so as a friend or a sister, you can say, would you like me to find you someone that can help you? And you can make yeah. the calls or talk to the doctor. And so, like you said, that circle of support can then lead to the medical support that you really do need if you are in a really, not even like a really dark, heavy place. Like you can get that even when you're not in a really dark, heavy place and it can bless your life. Yeah. We get our, our annual physicals, right? Why not check up on our mental health, check up on your friends, remind them to go to therapy. Like you remind them to get a mammogram, right? Yes. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. And I have one key insight that's been really, really life-changing for me that I'd love to leave with your listeners. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and I, I'm not sure where I read this or heard this, but it stuck with me, you know, all this time. And I, I've told it to so many people, but it's the ones that we love don't want us to hurt the same way that they hurt. I felt an intense guilt when I felt like I was moving past my mother's death because I feared that it meant that I didn't love her enough. But that Mm. thought helped me to realize that continued anguish in a family line or in a relationship isn't a healthy way to prove my love. And you don't need to prove your love. That person knows. Katie knows Mm -hmm. that Noah loved her. And Katie knows that you loved her the same way that my mom knows that I loved her, even if I don't spend every day since she's been gone crying. You know, Mm -hmm. my mom wouldn't want that for me. I would never, ever want my child to experience hurts that I've experienced. Mm -hmm. And so we can honor them through our happiness and through our lives and through living a fulfilling and joyful life. And we honor them by seeking treatment. We honor them by changing our family patterns. And I think it's something that it's really hard to come to that space where we feel I will love them and miss them forever, but the best thing I can do for myself and for them is to be happy. Mm. Yes, that is such a beautiful way to end this, a beautiful insight. Mental illness leads to so much pain, and our loved ones don't want us to live with that pain that they had. They want us to remember them in joyful ways every day. Um, but not to live in that pain forever. You'll you'll live in that pain for a while, and that's okay right. to live in that pain for a while, but to move forward out of it. 
So Sarah, I just want to say thank you so much for this heartfelt conversation. You're so easy to talk to. I'm (laughs) find myself sharing all my personal stories because I'm like someone who gets it, someone who's been there, you know, and of course, and I just am so grateful for you and this message to the community. So thank you for coming on 3 and 30. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Rachel. I appreciate it. I want to give so many heartfelt thanks to Sarah for sharing her story and perspective with us today. I hope this conversation gave you some new insight into mental illness that will help you to reach out for the support you personally need or help you to support others in your life better. I'm going to link all of the episodes we've had about mental illness in the show notes if you want to dive in deeper. And I also want to remind you about this month's sponsor, BetterHelp, if you need some professional support right now. And that info is also in the show notes. I believe in counseling, I believe in BetterHelp, and I'm so grateful for the support they've given to over 1 million individuals who want to care for their mental health. By way of recap, three of the lessons that Sarah learned from her mom's illness and death from suicide are, first, mental illness is not a character flaw or a lack of willpower. It's a disease. It's no one's fault, and there should be no shame or stigma attached to it. Explaining mental illness and even suicide as a disease can be helpful when talking through these tender topics with children. Second, love does not cure depression and depression does not rob love. If you have a loved one with mental illness or who died by suicide, please know that this is not because of a love for you or from you. All of the emotions that you feel are okay, even guilt and anger, but let those emotions process through you, possibly with the help of a counselor, So in the end, you can settle back in on love, which leads perfectly into our third takeaway. Healing and joy are possible. They are. Whether you're healing from your own mental illness or healing from the loss of a loved one to mental illness, remember one of my favorite scripture verses, which I shared back in episode six when Katie first passed away. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That night may be weeks, months, years even, but joy can and will return. I know that feels so impossible when you're in the midst of the darkness, but please keep holding on. My friends, I'm sending you so much love and gratitude today. Thank you for being in this community. November is a hard month for me, but I feel your love and support, and it means the world. Whatever you are going through, I'm sending you all my healing vibes, and I hope you have a love-filled week with your family.